Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. This is part two of our two-part episode where we are discussing all the horror movies that we have been watching so far this Halloween month. And uh, like the first part, this will also be spoiler-free. All the movies on my list are movies that I've never seen before. And I also tried to pick a lot of movies that hopefully our listeners have not seen before either. So let's get started. All right, so the first movie up on my list is called A Dark Song. It's free on AMC Plus On Demand, or you can rent it on Amazon for $2.99. It came out in 2016. It stars Steve Oram, who is in Sightseers and The World's End, and also Catherine Walker, who's an Irish-born actress. Uh, She's been in a lot of things, but I have not seen any of them. Uh, The plot is a determined young woman woman who refuses to come to terms with the death of her young son and a damaged occultist risk their lives and souls to perform a dangerous ritual that will grant them what they want. Uh, This movie was recommended to me by a friend who was recommended by one of their friends (laughs) to watch it because I had not heard of this before. I heard it from Um, a friend who... (laughs) Sorry. Heard it from a friend who... (laughs) All right. Uh, sorry, we'll try not to sing every episode because no one wants to hear that. No promises, though. The only bit of trivia that I found about this movie is that the ritual that's performed in the movie is the, uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly, Abramelin Operation, an occult rite attempted by Gnostics such as Aleister Crowley. The ritual is meant to obtain the knowledge and conversation of the ritualist guardian angel. So apparently it's a real occult ceremony that they performed in this movie. Um, It was beautifully shot. The landscape in the film is gorgeous. I know you like that type of stuff, Mindy. (laughs) Um, There there was like a few movies we watched last year that I think were Irish horror movies where, you know, it's you have that. Or maybe not all of them were um, from Ireland, but the UK. And a lot of them just had like this gorgeous landscape that was, you know, um, just very like moody and the the fog and just kind of like melancholy setting. Um, So this film definitely had that as well. And it takes place in a beautiful old mansion in the countryside in Wales. But the film was actually filmed in Ireland. It's a slow burn film, Um, so if you're not into slow burn movies, (laughs) I would probably stay away from this. There's pretty much also just the two main characters in this film, so if you do not like either of the characters, which oftentimes their characters are kind of unlikable, you also may not like the film. But with that being said, both characters did a great job acting. Uh, It was beautiful to look at, well acted. I I don't know. I thought the movie was okay. It wasn't it wasn't my favorite um, on my list, but I would recommend it. Okay, okay. And what was the name of that movie again? I kind of want to. It check. is called A Dark Song. Yeah, I honestly I think you would like this movie better than I. I was liked just it. like I don't I not that I've heard of every horror movie, but I was like that sounds really interesting in that title is just unique like I haven't heard a title like that I don't know 
Good pick, Sharon. Sounds cool. So, Sharon, I'm actually going to take us to what technically is our the country of our ancestors, Poland, a very, very small town out in the middle of nowhere, Poland, as uh, often happens in horror movies. I watched this movie called The Shrine. Um, it's on Hulu. It's It was made in 2010, and it's written and directed by John, I'm going to say Knotts. It's K-N-A-U-T-Z. It stars uh, Aaron Ashmore and Cindy Sampson. Uh, The IMDb description is, two female journalists and a photographer travel to Europe to investigate a series of mysterious disappearances, only to find themselves embroiled in a struggle against the kind of evil they never expected. So I don't remember how I found this. Uh, I think it just showed up on Hulu and I was like, oh, okay, why not? Um, some of the reviews, this one actually on IMDb, it has a 5.5 rating, but the, some of the reviews were actually pretty positive. So I was like, all right, what the hell? It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, somebody had, had, one of the commenters said, it's a different kind of horror movie. It's nice to see this difference in the genre. I was like, I mean, I guess because there's a ritual thing involved, maybe. But I just, unfortunately, I, I really didn't like any of the characters. Obviously couldn't get behind any of their decisions. Carmen, the main character, is like a headstrong journalist. This kid goes missing in this small town in Poland. And she wants to go investigate. She goes to buttfuck Poland, who and doesn't speak Polish, um, doesn't intend to learn and then walks into this local town that is clearly very small clearly very little people speak English and just kind of expects to like not stand out which they do and then chaos ensues so uh, I was gonna ask you is the uh is the cast um or are the the characters in the film speaking English or are they speaking Polish that is a good question. I was actually going to mention that. So the, the odd thing is that it's very clearly filmed in Canada. Like, I think I heard a few aboots or whatever, like the Canadian accent. <laughs> a boot? A boot. But I, I did look this up because I was like, all right, this is just, this is not Poland. The Polish citizens are mostly Polish actors, and they do speak Polish exclusively. And that's all I'll say about that. With the exception of a few children in the, the community who speak broken English to the reporters. So so that I thought was kind of cool, was that they actually did have Polish actors and used what I'm assuming is Polish, because I don't speak fluent Polish. I only know a few swears um, that my <laughs> gran- my grandpa taught me. So I, it kind of sounded like Polish, but they, they also could have just been speaking gibberish, unfortunately, and I might not have known. It's predictable, and it was so kind of creepy. There is a cool one, really cool moment, like and really cool visual in the middle, and then, I mean, if you got nothing to do, got a few beers to kill, you know, whatever, put it on in the background. It's it won't make you dumber for watching it, but it's not. It wasn't my favorite that I watched, but the shrine, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. It sounds like you like this one about as much as Sharon liked her first one. Yeah, if you need something on in the background and you would prefer it to be kind of creepy and you know there's going to be a moment where there's a really cool visual and then you can go back to what you're doing, then put this on. That's my recommendation. All right, so I'm going to take us back to the States with Society. Uh, It's on Shudder and also free on Amazon Prime. I've like 
seen visuals of this movie before, but never really paid attention to it. And then when Spencer and I were watching that documentary um, on Shudder, what is, what is it was his like name? Into the Darkness or something? I think it's called Into the Darkness. Um, not going to look it up right now, but <laughs> it's about all the the 80s horror movies you know, it goes through every single year. It's like oh, a four yeah. and a half hour documentary that I highly, highly, highly recommend everyone watches if they're a horror fan because it's amazing. Um, but they discussed this movie. It came out in 1989. It stars Billy Warlock, who is in Halloween 2 and also Baywatch. For all you Baywatch fans out there, you may recognize him from that. I think um, there's a lot of crossover in between those two <laughs> fan groups. <laughs> Um, I've never seen a single episode of Baywatch, and I'm proud to say that. I haven't either. Yeah. Good. Because <laughs> I'd have to divorce you as a friend if you did, Mindy. <laughs> All right. So the movie is about a teenage boy who doesn't feel like he just quite fits in with the rest of his wealthy family and discovers that his family and friends are part of a gruesome orgy cult for the social elite. In many ways, I thought this film was very appropriate to some things that are going on in the world these days, uh, some of the social commentary that this movie was trying to make. I just kept picturing Trump and his family and friends during that orgy. I do not want to think about this. (laughs) During that famous orgy scene at the end of the movie. Um, Yeah, I don't want to think about that either. But, you know, there was just certain things that I was like, oh, I I can see... The Trumps doing this in their uh, Mar-a-Lago <laughs> when they when they go down there for vacation. That's why they go. Anyways, a little bit of trivia. So the hospital used for the exterior shots in society is from the same hospital that was used in Halloween too, which Billy Warlock is in both of those. Oh, cool! Uh, Billy Warlock's father is actually actor and stuntman Dick Warlock, who played The Shape, uh, Michael Myers' character, uh, in Halloween 2 as well. And I believe in our last trivia episode, or one of our last trivia episodes, there was a question that mentioned Dick Warlock. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember us being like, that's an awesome name. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So Brian Usna, the director, cited the spiral staircase from 1946 and Rosemary's Baby as the film's biggest influences, particularly in terms of paranoia as a major element. Yuzna and special effects designer Screaming Mad George both said that Salvador Dali's paintings, autumnal cannibalism, and soft construction with boiled beans were also inspirations for the orgy scenes. So if you've seen this movie, you know what those scenes look like. So go look up Dali's paintings, autumnal cannibalism, and soft construction with boiled beans, and you will see how that was the inspiration for those scenes. They're, they're very similar. There were a dozen crew members who were used to work the large contorted puppets for the final, uh, quote, shunting finale. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) You need to see a movie with shunting in it, Mindy. Um, The puppet was moved from beneath the stage floor where crew members were concealed. So I just found all that to be very interesting because, goddamn, that final scene is amazing um i'm so glad 
that I know about this movie and that I finally watched it. The whole thing was like a Twilight Zone episode to me. It's just this crazy fucking movie. And the end scene is brilliant. The practical effects that were used for the orgy slash shunting scenes kind of left me speechless. And there is a scene of a, uh, a butthead scene with the main character's father that's just kind of genius and very well done. It's a super fun watch and I totally recommend it. Butthead scene? <laughs> you have to watch the movie to find out. I don't know that I can, but okay. Okay. Oh my God, it's fucking brilliant. Everyone needs to watch this movie. I highly recommend it. I think I walked in at the end of you watching this movie. <laughs> Do you remember a butthead uh, scene maybe. or a shunting scene? Or a- I feel like I had gone to bed and then I got up. And so, yeah, I'm having some weird memories now <laughs> as you described it. Although you might just re- remember seeing the clips that were in that documentary. Oh, that's possible. Yeah. Yes. All right. Mindy, what do you got next? Um, well, I'm not Googling shunting. I just don't think I can handle that. <laughs> but I might I might check this movie out. You ne- you need to check this movie out. I just, I'm still kind of shocked a little bit. Well, you know what? We're going to go, I'm going to change it up and lighten the mood a tad. Um, so I watched this movie. I've actually tried watching this movie or like stumbled on it like five different times and never sat down and watched it and then they played it on the travel channel like a week or so ago. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm going to sit down and watch the whole thing. And I did it so y'all don't have to. Um, this is the movie Helltown. It's directed by Jay Cheel, C-H-E-E-L, um, who happens to be the writer and director of Shudder's Cursed Film series as well, which I actually didn't know that going in. And then I was like, holy shit. Um, I thought that it used to be available free on like the various areas like Prime or whatever, but it's not. And I didn't want to pay three bucks. So I watched it on demand. So full disclosure, I have like internet streaming and I can't fast forward through commercials. So I watching this with commercial breaks, A, I don't know how we did it in like the 80s when we would watch stuff on TV because it just breaks the momentum horribly. But B, I feel like that might have colored some of my reaction to this movie. But we'll we'll just discuss it. Um, so it is found footage. I still love that shit. Sorry. This is pretty much the whole movie in a nutshell. This documentary slash docudrama explores the different aspects, theories, facts, contradictions, and speculations of what may have really happened in Helltown 1974, in 1974, excuse me, when President Ford ordered the evacuation of Boston, Ohio. Theories as to why include the military cover-up of a possible (laughs) mutation-causing chemical spill and Boston being taken over by a satanic cult. It also includes reenactments, interviews, and some good found footage. Well, not really, because it's fake. Um, Fun fact, the actual event was real. Boston, Ohio was an area that existed and was evacuated in 1974 for realsies. Um, The official version is that there was a, in America at the time, I guess we were really nervous about our disappearing forest and greenery areas. And uh, so 
Ford did actually sign a bill that allowed the National Park Service, what up, Leslie Nope, um, to use eminent domain and basically go in. It was a very small rural town, and they ended up evacuating it and then turning it into a uh, national state park, which it still is today. The fun thing, or for us it would be fun, is that the folks that did live there boarded up their houses and just like left everything there. So people, like, tourists would go there to like, this is the true story. Tourists, tourists would go there to like check out the abandoned buildings. And there became this like ghost myth about the town. People started saying that they thought they saw upside down crosses in the chapel. They were really just support beams, like stuff like that. So I guess my point is, Unlike it's, it claims that they claim in this movie, there is no Wendigo, as far as I know, in real life that haunts what is uh, now no longer Boston, Ohio. Um, but it was okay, sure. Having said all of that, I think that A, if I didn't watch this with commercial breaks, I might have liked it better. B, the actors in it, there are no real, they claim there's like citizens and experts, and there's a, it's, this whole thing is supposed to be like this ancient aliens-esque documentary type thing. And like the main character who's like the director conspiracy guy is pretty spot on. Ponytail, flannel, Black Sabbath t-shirt underneath, whatever. But like after all is said and done, I'm just saying to myself, but why? 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 Because it, they, they took real, real facts and elevated them and made it into a horror movie, kind of like The Conjuring 2. People around there, which I'm going to get to, aren't really happy about that. But also, it leaves you, there's a sense of letdown at the end. Because you're like, well, why the fuck did I just watch that? If it's just literally somebody making up shit about a story that I would have rather seen a documentary about the actual event, I guess is what I'm saying. If there is a documentary on Boston, Ohio, for realsies, I'm going to look around a little bit to find more info on it. Um, that would be more interesting to watch. And there is a cool article about it on the Atlas Obscura website, which we can post. Helltown, ladies and gentlemen. Cool. Make us smarter, Sharon. Yeah, I'm going to say the next movie I'm about to talk about is probably one of my favorite movies on my list. It's Ms. 45. I watched it free on Amazon Prime. It came out in 1981 and was directed by Abel Ferreira, who directed The Bad Lieutenant. It stars Zoe Lund, who actually co-wrote The Bad Lieutenant with Abel Ferreira. A timid and mute seamstress goes insane after being attacked and raped twice in one day and takes to the streets of New York City after dark to randomly shoot men with a 45 caliber pistol. And I know you do not like these rape films, Mindy, uh, like um, I Spit on Your Grave. However, I will say that the two rape scenes, for the most part, are pretty short and they are nothing like the scenes in I Spit on Your Grave or any of those movies. For the record, I blame you for my not liking of those movies. Well, I mean, okay, yeah, that they're, that's horrible. Rape is horrible. <laughs> because I created that genre. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, I am not endorsing rape. But when we were like 18 or 19... 
uh, a bunch of our, us, like a bunch of our friends were hanging out at my house and uh, we sent Sharon and a friend to Blockbuster at the time to go pick up. We were like, get something scary. And she came back with Demented, which was about a woman that was gang raped and then goes nuts and takes revenge on all of those people. And so I think it just stuck somewhere in my psyche. And I'm just like, no, nope. I stand by my choice. I stand by my choice that I made that night. Demented and Freaks. Those are the two movies I picked out. And it was not Blockbuster. We supported our small little local video store, Video Playground. Aw. Okay. But anyway, just wanted to put that out there. Okay, go ahead. All right. So a little bit of trivia about this film. So the actress, Zoe Lund, I'm kind of fascinated by her. Mm. Um, Don't really know who she is, but now I'm kind of obsessed with her so she was an accomplished composer musician and devout political activist at an early age she was also a staunch advocate of heroin use which you don't come across many people who are advocates for heroin use um (laughs) so very interesting in and of itself that little tidbit In addition, she was a professional model in her 20s and a writer who penned various essays, short stories, novels, and film scripts. One of her unfinished screenplays was about supermodel Gia Karanji, who um, was the model who died of a heroin overdose. And I don't know if you've seen that movie Gia with uh, Angelina Jolie, who played her. Um, but they they were friends in real life. Lund appears as an interview subject in the documentary The Self-Destruction of Gia in 2003, in which she candidly discusses her own heroin use. And Lund died of drug-related heart failure at the tragically young age of 37 in Paris on October 16th, 1999. So she sounds like this super talented, brilliant person who, for some reason decided to use a lot of drugs and unfortunately her life was cut short but her performance in this movie I will say like is is just so amazing I mean she was so perfectly cast in this film and it just blew me away um (laughs) thoughts on this movie fuck men (laughs) basically all the men in this film with a few exceptions are completely disgusting. This movie really puts you into the day in the life of a woman. What it's like to be a woman, especially living in the big city, dealing constantly with catcalling and having to be super, you know, just hyper aware of your surroundings at all times because men are fucking animals who don't know how to control themselves. I found it very interesting that they made her character mute, which I think that choice made her seem even more isolated in her own world. I mean, she couldn't scream at her attackers or speak up for herself, even if she wanted to. But then she ultimately found her voice, metaphorically speaking, through a gun. Uh, Yeah, so there was really no need for her to do any talking. Um, And as I said... Zoe Lund, her performance was amazing. You completely felt her vulnerability. And then you also felt her empowerment, which, you know, it was like this transition scene in the in the film. The final scenes in this movie, to me, it just kind of like just capped off what was already 
an amazing film and it's probably one of the best revenge movies that I've seen. And this is not on my list, but last night Spencer and I watched Alone, which is a 2020 movie, which is also kind of a um, torture revenge film. A little little bit different though, Um, but I also really enjoyed that and highly recommend it. Yeah, I don't really have too much of an aversion to these uh, revenge films. I I like seeing women become empowered and then just totally fucking over the men that abuse them. So yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm sorry I traumatized you when we were teenagers, Mindy, but I highly recommend you watch this movie. I, I highly recommend anyone watch this movie. I loved it. Yeah, I actually do kind of want to watch this movie, like listening to that. And I love when women get badass, I mean, and get revenge. That was the best part of Demented. I'm sorry, it just makes me laugh thinking about it. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I want to check this out. Okay, well, so since we're talking about women who are <laughs> empowered, I guess this doesn't sort of fits, maybe kind of not really, but I watched, uh, I, th- I believe it's pronounced Luz, L-U-Z. It was a new movie from 2018, uh, but in the States it came out in 2019. Um, and it's a German film directed by Tillman Singer, and it stars Luana Bellis, I believe is how it's pronounced, um, as the lead actress Luz. And this is the IMDb summary. Luz, a young cab driver, drags herself into the brightly lit entrance of a run-down police station. A demonic entity follows her, determined to finally be close to the woman it loves. Now, this movie isn't really so much about women empowering themselves and getting revenge, but it is... I literally... All I have written for notes is... Yep, that does happen, referring to the description. And then, what the fuck did I just watch? Um, it's a kind of abstract, also in t- at times slow burny kind of movie. But Sharon, you, the opening scene, I, I just kept thinking to myself, Sharon would be screaming, oh my God, this is David Lynch. This is David Lynch. Because the opening scene is this police, the shot, this like wide shot of this police station lobby and Luz walks in and she just stands at the entranceway to the police station. And it felt, I mean, it was like maybe like three minutes, but it felt like it took forever because it was just stillness. And then it starts to build and, and then things go nutty from there in general. And I kind of don't really want to say more than that because it it is a bit abstract, but that's kind of why it's fascinating And I literally am still not entirely sure what happened in the movie, but it was very uh, hypnotic. It was very hypnotic, and uh, there's some great imagery. The main, Luz, the main actress who plays her, her performance is ridiculous. She's awesome. I will say that I'm recommending this movie, but with the caveat that if you do not like slow burns or movies that don't very clearly lay out plot and and storylines maybe you would be a bit frustrated by this film um i definitely was entranced and it's german but i I do think that there's some david lynch uh influence there so for that all those reasons i would recommend it but just full disclosure 
if it's not your th- your bag, maybe skip this one. All right. So my next film is The Love Witch, which is on Shutter. I was totally going to watch that. We'll see if you still want to watch it after I talk about it. <laughs> Alrighty. It came out in 2016. It stars Samantha Robinson, who played Abigail Folger in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's about a modern-day witch who uses spells and magic to get men to fall in love with her with deadly consequences. So Anna Biller, who not only wrote and directed this film, she's also credited as one of the producers. She did the editing, art design, costume design, production design, set design, and worked on the music for the film. And it took her seven years to complete this film. Dude, what a slacker. (laughs) I know, right? Holy shit. I think the only other filmmaker I know who puts their hands um, in that many... um, What's what's that expression? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got your hand in different pots or different uh, something. God damn it. Yeah, I can't remember the expression. I know what you're saying, too. Puts puts their hands in too many gloves in the pots in the... Anyway. has, Has their... Um, and the cat's in the cradle with the silver spoon. <laughs> or is it wears so many hats? I don't know. Pots, hats. Yeah, yeah wears out. multiple hats. David Lynch. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, he, he also is involved in almost every aspect of, of the production of his films. Uh, so, just to start off, I have to say, I did not realize this movie was a comedy and it's also a satire. I went in cold thinking that it was more of an occult movie, kind of like Satanic Panic. I was thinking there would be a lot of bloody sacrifices and rituals and it would be kind of dark. Uh, Not like that at all. It was a lot different than I thought it would be. I loved the look of the film. I mean, everything from the costumes, the set design, the makeup, the lighting, there's so much attention to detail. Everything has that 1960s and 70s aesthetic to it. However, I don't think they ever actually mentioned when the movie took place. And for the most part, it's hard to tell until I saw, um, I think there was only like one or two scenes where someone was using a cell phone. So I was like, okay, totally thinking that this was 60s or 70s the entire time. And I was like, nope, everything just meant to look that way. Uh, It's the complete opposite of Miss 45 (laughs) in like so many different ways. Basically, the main character, Elaine, she's a gorgeous witch who is searching for a replacement for her dead husband. She's desperate to find love and uses witchcraft to try and make men fall in love with her, which is completely unnecessary and ironic because (laughs) she's absolutely gorgeous um she doesn't need to you know cast any spells to make someone fall in love with her but she's desperate for love and she just wants to make men happy and cook and clean and have sex with her man and in return she just wants the guy to be big and strong and manly and completely give himself to her. Big as in tall or? (laughs) Manly, yes, tall. I mean, big in many ways, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) But there is one scene where her friend even says to her, you sound as if you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy, which is kind of, I think, where the satire of this film comes into. It's 
described as a feminist movie. And even though the main character's views on love are probably the opposite of what most self-described feminists would say about love, Elaine does have agency over her life and she is also very comfortable with her sexuality and owning her sexuality, which is so powerful that when coupled with the love potions that she makes, it inadvertently ends up killing all the men that she desires. Um, Also, every detail of this film was crafted by a woman. So I think that's probably why this is considered a feminist movie. Um, just because she is so comfortable with her sexuality and does have agency over her life. And she's choosing that this is what she wants for herself. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know what you thought this movie was, but (laughs) totally different than what I was expecting. And I'm also still not completely sure if I liked it or not. Interesting. There is a lot of aspects I did like about it. There is some aspects I did not like about it. But after reading more about the director and writer and her thoughts on the film, I definitely appreciate it more, knowing all the little details that she put into this film. And also, there's a really, really funny tampon joke that made me laugh out loud. So, (laughs) All right, so Spencer looked up a few phrases Um, I think I was trying to say all of these phrases and combine them into one. So there is finger in many pies, uh, wear many hats, a lot of balls in the air. They brush swipes all over the palette. Never heard that one. What the fuck? Lots of irons in the fire and jack of all trades. Um, So yeah, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to try and combine all these (laughs) into one. Uh, I like to wear many hats while I put my fingers in the pie and juggle balls in the air with my irons in the fire. That's what I was trying to say. Well done. Uh huh. Okay. That was well a, done. That was Anyways. impressive, actually, because that was done on the spot. <laughs> Mindy, next movie. All right. Go. Um, okay. So the next movie that I watched uh, is called Books of Blood. Uh, it is on Hulu. I believe it's a Hulu special. It's directed by Brandon Braga, who actually wrote a bunch of episodes and some film stuff for various Star Trek shows, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it stars Britt Robertson, Robertson, who I feel like I should know, but I don't. Um, and Anna Friel. I know that's not, I don't think that's how you say her name, but the Pushing Daisies actress, among other things. And I'm a big fan of hers. Um, the... Synopsis from IMDb, a journey into uncharted and forbidden territory through three tales tangled in space and time. Um, it was interesting. It's a, I like the, the, what do you call those movies? The, where they like, not a trilogy, but where they have the different parts that we. Anthology. Thank you. Jesus. My brain is not working today. Yes. I enjoy those films. So that's why I was like, oh, cool. This looks good. Um, and it was interesting. It was okay. Uh, I watched it twice and still have, I have my notes, but I still don't really remember much of it. So I feel like (laughs) it was that good. It was, it was, it was okay. It was okay. I didn't get scared. It didn't make a huge impression on me, but a lot of the IMDb reviewers are like, this is not, this is not up to the source material standards but um there's some good moments there's definitely some good visuals Anna Friel's super hot so um I say if you've got time 
and it, and the inclination check it out on hulu it it, it wasn't it, it was it was kind of fun we'll put it that way right. i'm sorry i'm like i'm i'm really like i feel like i'm really negative about my movies but i've got a big one coming so hang in there that's what she said <laughs> i was telling spencer earlier that i think I enjoyed almost every single movie that I watched except for the exception of one or two. Um, This next movie is so interesting and I had never heard of it before I found it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, It's free on Prime. It's called Deranged Confessions of a Necrophile. Whoa. And it is basically... The story of Ed Gein, a deranged rural farmer, becomes a grave robber and murderer after the death of his possessive and domineering mother, who teaches him that all women are evil. After she dies, he misses her, so a year later, he digs her up and takes her home. He keeps her corpse in the house, among others, as his companions in his decaying farmhouse. If that sounds familiar... It is because, as I said, (laughs) based very closely on the story of Ed Gein, except in this movie, his name is Ezra Cobb. So we just recently had our episode where we had um, my sister-in-law, Jessica, who is not a horror fan, watch five classic horror films, including Psycho and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Both of those movies also based off of Ed Gein. And this movie actually came out in February of 1974, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre was released in October of 1974. I literally just gasped audibly. (laughs) I I saw you. (laughs) I didn't, I've not Um, heard, I had no idea this existed. What the hell? I know, and the fact that it, it came out is basically based on the same story, although this one is way more closely is just... It's almost like straight up the story of Ed Gein, where Texas Chainsaw Massacre is so loosely based on that. And obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, way more popular uh, than this movie. So it stars Robert Roberts. Actually, his first name is Roberts, not Robert. Roberts Blossom, who was in Christine, Close Encounters, and also Home Alone. And it has Marion Waldman, who is Mrs. Mack from Black Christmas, Mindy. Uh, and there's another there is another black christmas trivia uh thing that goes with this there's a lot of really interesting trivia about this film like honestly this film kind of fascinates me so harvey keitel and christopher walken both auditioned for the role of ezra cobb but the producer tom carr felt that they were both a bit too young and robert blossoms was the last to audition and so tom carr was like this is my man Bob Clark, one of Mindy's favorites, uh, who made Black Christmas. He directed Black Christmas and also A Christmas Story. He was originally approached to direct this film. However, Clark felt that the script was too disturbing for his taste, so he opted to produce the film, though he was uncredited. Because, you know, stabbing someone to death while beautiful Christmas carols are being sung by a children's choir, um, blood everywhere a unicorn horn going into a, a chest like that that's not that that's child's play man <laughs> i mean well in black christmas also wasn't that 1974 i don't know off the top of my head but it was close spencer's gonna look it up i mean i will say this movie is more disturbing than black christmas and there's 
a few scenes in it that are are very disturbing. So Black Christmas really is uh Black Christmas is basically like um I don't know a Christmas story. <laughs> um so Black Christmas was made in 74. Thank you, Spencer, for looking that up. And Tom Savini did the makeup for this film. You know, between the the makeup artists, people who are supposed to star in this film and direct it. I mean, it's like kind of an all-star cast all around um, or potential cast and crew <laughs> all around. I would have thought that I would have heard of this movie. Totally. Before. Totally. Um, so Tom Carr... The producer, he wanted to shoot in Ed Gein's hometown of Plainfield, Wisconsin, because Wisconsin, lots of snow, needed a film somewhere that had lots of snow. But the town council said that they would never okay it since the town had enough notoriety over the original murders instead. Uh, And then Tom tried other towns in Wisconsin and was basically told, like, fuck off. (laughs) Uh, So then... He was talking to Bob Clark about filming in Ontario, Canada for the tax benefits and also because Canada, they also have a lot of snow and it resembled Wisconsin. So he ended up filming in Canada. Okay, do not. It is just it seems like it's just bad practice to film in the area where crimes or horrible, very violent events occurred or potential hauntings are like it's one thing to investigate or whatever, but don't go filming, especially a fictional account. It's what the fuck is wrong with people? Okay, rant over. All right. Well, he didn't. He filmed in Canada. Yeah, but he tried. I'm good for Wisconsin. I think that's the first time I ever said that. <laughs> All right. So, um, Roberts Blossom was great as Ezra Cobb or Ed Gein. Uh, he was completely believable playing this eccentric old man that you know just he's just seemed like the kind of weird old man that lives in your town that everyone knows but you all think that he's totally harmless and he's also equally terrifying in this film and you see his mental fragility just crack after he loses his mother it's I mean his character was such a great combo of Norman Bates and Leatherface melded into one character. Uh, There's one scene that is utterly terrifying and literally made me shiver and stop breathing for a few seconds because I was so creeped out by it. I just put myself into the place of the unsuspecting female character and was like, what the fuck would I have done in this situation? Um, Yeah. (laughs) There's also a dinner scene in the film that's very similar to the dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, as I said, was released just eight months later. So is that a weird coincidence or did Toby Hooper see this film and use that as inspiration for Chainsaw? I mean, I don't know. I tried to find the answer somewhere. I could not find it on the Internet. And unfortunately, Toby Hooper is no longer with us, so we can't ask him. Um, But yeah, it that was also just kind of it yeah don't know what to say other than it was a weird coincidence that these two movies had such a similar scene um there's also another scene towards the end that was almost as chilling as the final scene in texas chainsaw massacre where leatherface was chasing sally around and interestingly enough the scene that i'm talking about has ezra hunting a girl also named Sally. So once again, 
coincidence? Toby Hooper, was he inspired? I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that. If you're a fan of Ed Gein, (laughs) (laughs) his work, (laughs) if you're a huge fan of Ed Gein's sewing skills or his um, furniture making, check out this movie. If you're, if you like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think you would like this movie as well. And since Mindy does not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I don't know if she would like this movie, but I'm going to recommend it to everyone. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, you know what? I'm going to watch it because I am really interested, actually. So, yeah. All right. I am curious to hear you compare it to Texas Chainsaw because we all heard your opinions on that movie. I, when we All right. We're not going to get into this. This is, not the, this is not what we're talking about today, but... Hold that. Put a pin in the thought of uh, horror classics and appreciation. Put a pin in that for a second. Um, okay. My next movie is a mo- is actually also a 2020 movie, um, but I've been waiting for it. And uh, Sharon, you can feel free to groan. It is a f- technically a ghost hunter show made into a movie. Um, the mo- it's called The House in Between. It is literally a. Uh, like real people, like there's really no stars, but it's produced and directed by Steve Gonzalez, which if you, like me, watch the original Ghost Hunters or now Ghost Nation, you will know who he is. He's a, a reality TV ghost hunter. And then Kendall Welpton. Um, and it's set in Florence, Mississippi, filmed in 20, or it was released in 2020. The description from IMDb was a beautiful documentary telling the real story of a homeowner living with a haunting, bridging the paranormal, real science, and the human experience. This documentary shows a detailed look at what could be the most haunted house in America. I like that they say bridging the paranormal quote real science and the (laughs) as opposed to fake science um but yeah it's not a scripted thing it is basically like a long episode of ghost hunters but it's interesting um because this woman invites a local team into a paranormal investigator team into her house because she's having issues with disturbances and then they reach out to steve gonzalez from the ghost shows and Ghost Nation, which is currently airing on the Travel Channel, I think this is sort of a tie-in because uh, Steve Gonzalez is, I guess, the deal is that he's trying to, like, unite paranormal investigators across the country, hence the name Ghost Nation. And he made this it during the break between Ghost Hunters and then Ghost Nation. And they talk a lot about, like, sharing resources and whatever. So part of me felt like it was kind of an ad for that show. But it was cool because it does show them, the researchers, like, not being your stereotypical paranormal researcher jackasses. Like, you know, they're not yelling at ghosts or swearing at them. They they show them like doing the research and and looking in like looking into the history. And so if you're into that kind of thing, it's for you. Sharon, you might find it interesting. It's not I didn't particularly find it very scary. I don't really find those shows very scary. I'm just fascinated. And I'm a big fan of Steve Gonzalez. So I watched it. I enjoyed it. Um, And it's actually free on Prime right now. So you don't have to pay for it. Um, so if you don't watch those shows, is this something that you can watch and like know, yep. like get into without like knowing who these people are? Yep. Absolutely. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it's standalone, but I just know all those connections. 
because I'm a dork. So <laughs> um, it's interesting for sure. And also, as most haunted houses are, this lady has a lovely home. <laughs> in Florence, Mississippi. So my next movie is The Bloodstained Butterfly, which is free on Prime. It came out in 1971. It stars Helmut Berger, who is an Austrian-born actor who was in The Godfather 3 and also Madonna's erotica video. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. It is about a girl who is murdered in a park and a television presenter who is accused of killing the girl who happens to be his daughter's best friend. Um, It's another giallo movie, but this one is subtitled, so you don't have to worry about any bad dubbing. The colors are more muted than a typical giallo film. Uh, It's more mystery and less murder. There's not really much violence or blood at all. I did have a lot of beautiful cinematography, however. Um, It was also very interesting to see how much forensic evidence was available back in the early 70s. There's a lot of court scenes. I think it takes place in Italy. Um, So, but there's a a lot of court scenes and they are examining the contents of the soil to see what minerals are in it, to see if it's a match to, you know, a specific area and just a lot of things that you wouldn't think were techniques that were available back in the seventies to help solve crimes. Um, but I'm totally into that kind of shit. So that was really fascinating. It's a slow burn until the reveal, which does have a twist. Um, I should say that the twist is a little underwhelming, but still, I I enjoyed the film. There is definitely some problematic scenes with older men trying to justify their obsession with young girls and why it's normal and should just be expected, like trying to explain to their wives or girlfriends, like, yeah, I'm a man, you know, obviously I'm going to be attracted to younger girls, like deal with it. (laughs) So that, I mean, for 1971 does not surprise me, but it was just to see it like so blatant um, in a movie is just like, wow, okay. So yeah, it's a giallo film. Uh, I would recommend it. It's not as good as what have they done to Solange, um, but I, I would recommend this as well. And I'm really getting into giallo films now and, and ca- kind of just want to do like a binge on those because I love a good murder mystery. I'm down. I would be down for that. Yeah. Or did I say, what have you done with Solange? What have you done to Solange? I never get that straight. I knew what you meant. But anyways, uh, Mindy, what do you have next? Okay, so um, this is like the big one that I watched for this this year's Halloween. Uh, I realized... Do we need to do like a drum roll? Maybe, yeah. Ooh, that sounds great. I had never seen Hellraiser until this week. Are you fucking serious? Totally serious. Although a friend of mine claims that we tried to watch it at his behest. And I was like, well, was I drunk? And did I fall asleep? Because I don't remember. I would have remembered this. So uh, I may have seen it before. But no, I like made the decision, sat down and I watched it. All right. Well, tell us. All about it, because none of us have seen it, and we all want to know. In case you don't know, 
Uh, this is Hellraiser from 1987, written and directed by Clive Barker. And I found out that he, I guess, is going to try and reboot it. So Clive Barker is. Oh, I see. I did not. I did not know that. It was so, yeah. Okay. It was a trivia on IMDb. So if you're not familiar. The description, again, I'm sticking to IMDb descriptions. A woman discovers the newly resurrected, partially formed body of her brother-in-law. She starts killing for him to revitalize his body so he can escape the demonic beings that are pursuing him after he escaped their satanic underworld or sadistic underworld. Both of those. Yeah, I'd never seen this before and I know I was prepared to be terrified because I think when I was little one of the reasons I never sought this out is because it had I saw Pinhead and it was everyone was like it's so gruesome and blah blah blah. the special effects were cool for the time and I also many points was like oh Rob Zombie's I think probably paying a little bit of like adding a few nods in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses to this film too because there was some visual aspects that I was like yeah that's cool um, I wasn't freaked out or scared by the ghosts, or not the ghosts, the demons, sorry. <laughs> um, I the actually, Cenobites? Cenobites, yeah. And for the time, I read that Clive Barker and his team, like, they filmed all the puppet stuff in one night because <laughs> budgetary reasons didn't allow them to do, to have a lot of resources, and so they kind of had to improvise. And that said, I thought that was incredibly impressive. I thought Pinhead... And the gang were awesome. The way they were designed, built. The movie itself, to quote my friend Andy, yeah, I guess it really doesn't stand up too well now, huh? So I'm just going to say this is a, a supposedly grown-up woman in 2020 reflecting on a movie from 1987. God damn it was this misogynistic. I did not know how misogynistic this movie was. And frankly... Like, yeah, it's an 80s horror movie, duh. But, like, I was actually, my nerves were torn by the end of the movie because of fucking the, what I called the Ballad of Frank and Julia. And I'm going to just say it, that dick must have been really good because he sucked. Like, he was <laughs> such an asshole. But then there were, like, interspersed scenes of them, like, just fucking really hard. So that was my only, the only logic I could gather for why she, she did anything that she did for him so like that kind of visually it was really fun to watch but the misogyny I couldn't take to the point that I was like actually shaking by the end of it uh Frank for some reason likes to say to women come to daddy and it's just so gross and even grosser in context in the name of the film I don't know I just this threw it threw me which everybody that I've been telling that to has been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's an 80s horror movie. Of course, it's everything you're saying. But I just didn't know it was that degrading to women. That said, Kirsty, the final girl, the main character, essentially, really fucking kicks ass at the end, which I really appreciated. Like, literally, I think. Her I was going to say, she makes up for everything else. <laughs> but no, I, that was the one redeeming factor is that, like, I was so appalled, not by the horror. Again, I actually thought the gore and the horror was really well done for the time and actually pretty cool and did kind of hold up, I thought. And I love the box. I kind of want the box. It's pretty. But, uh <laughs> Yeah, I Kirsty really kicked ass. Literally, you know, 
saved the movie in my opinion like that's the only reason I'm not like this is garbage I thought it was interesting that like as soon as she saved like sent everybody back to hell all the demons she proceeded to walk outside and then it started raining and she had a white t-shirt on and no bra and I was like really Clive Barker like she just redeemed everything and now we're gonna see her titties that was the only point in the movie where her boyfriend helped her and he very quickly covered her up with her ja- with his jacket, which I was like, good job, lame boyfriend. I mean, I appreciate it, but I see why it's a classic. I mean, honestly, I don't remember thinking <laughs> any of those thoughts when I watched it, but I was also younger when I first saw it. And it was just, I mean, Julia just sucks. She's cheating oh. on her husband with his fucking brother. So... I just think she was, yeah, she just wanted that dick (laughs) and like was going to do anything to get it. I think that's something you could easily reverse the roles though. Right. And say, and that, you know, if the roles were reversed, the guy would be pussy whipped and you see a ton of movies where men are like pussy whipped and do whatever for the woman. I don't know. Maybe you're just reading into things a little too much. I don't know. The come to daddy shit made my skin crawl. But to your point, I actually halfway through the movie was like, I wonder what my reaction would have been if I had seen it in the 80s. Probably I'd be in an institution right now if I saw like happened to turn it on when I was little and then like saw like all the crazy like, you know, demons. And I was that that would have scared me a young Melinda. But everything that you just said would have probably gone over my head as a kid. But it was just really interesting to me. And yeah, she did suck. And I didn't have any sympathy for her. But like Frank was just awful. So I was like, I don't have any empathy for you. And I'm sorry, but I can't see how any dick is that good to do the gross shit she did for him. But it is you're a- not supposed to have empathy for either of the characters, though. You're supposed to have empathy for uh, Kirsty. So right, 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 right. Which I did, and then there was payoff with Julia and Frank. So that was that felt great. But uh, I will say again, though, visually, goddamn, with the resources that they had or didn't have, visually, it's amazing. And for 1987, I kept checking IMDb because I was like, damn. And so if they do end up remaking this, I'm curious what they're going to do and how they would possibly outdo or improve upon the demons. And now that I've said that, I actually want to take that back and be like, maybe I don't want to see because it'll probably be utterly horrifying with what technology can do these days. But I watched it. I'm glad I watched it. I, I want to stew on it some more and do some research on it, but it's definitely a classic for a reason. And that's that was my big, exciting Halloween adventure was Hellraiser because I had never seen it. And now I can say I definitely saw it sober and awake and comprehended it. <laughs> All right. So I also watched an anthology movie. I watched Asylum, which is free on Prime. It came out in 1972 and it was written by Robert Block, who wrote the book Psycho, which was the novel that inspired the movie made by Hitchcock, uh, all comes full circle, right? Very cool. Because we've talked about Psycho a lot in the last couple episodes. So it has Peter Cushing, who is basically like in every classic horror movie every ma- ever made, 
Um, it also has Charlotte Rampling, who has been in a ton of movies and TV shows, but I always think of her as Dr. Evelyn Vogel from Dexter. She was also in, I think it was season two of Broadchurch. Might have been season three, but I think it was the second season. I think you're right. But it's about a young psychiatrist who interviews four inmates in a mental asylum to satisfy her kind of a weird requirement for employment. <laughs> you hear stories. There's the first story is about the revenge of a murdered wife. Then uh, a story about a tailor who makes a suit with some highly unusual qualities. A woman who questions her sanity when it appears that her brother is conspiring against her. And then a man who builds tiny toy robots with lifelike human heads. Um, as I said, it's an anthology movie. It's made by Amicus Studios, which is known to be the rival studio to England's famous Hammer Studios. Amicus made the 1972 movie Tales from the Crypt that I think most people are familiar with. Amicus's films are sometimes mistaken for Hammer horror films because the two companies have very similar visual styles and use the same actors like Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. But unlike the period gothic Hammer films, Amicus productions are usually set in the present day. Uh, not an expert on Hammer horror or Amicus films, but it was just a little bit of trivia. I found, because uh, I know there are a lot of diehard Hammer Horror film fans, uh, it's not a scary movie. It's fun. I think the first story is my favorite story. There's a bit of a twist at the end, and I would recommend it. It's fun. It's kind of like your movie, The Skull, that you talked about, uh, Mindy. It's just, you know, 1970s British fun horror film to put on <laughs> good to have is like a bunch of them running in a like a loop on a marathon in the background of like a halloween party that, oh that's a good yes, idea I yes just, that's yeah. exactly or if you just want to like not think too hard and just binge a bunch of like spooky shit good good thing to put on so all right mindy what is your next movie i uh have my my next movie uh is a film that Sharon told me to watch and I know that she's also seen and I'm gonna fucking mention it because I want to it's on Netflix and it's called Hoobie Halloween it was made in 2020 <laughs> and it is an Adam Sandler movie uh directed by Stephen Brill and it stars a shitload of people and if you don't like Adam Sandler's like 19 what late 90 kind of comedy classic Sandler films yeah just uh Fast forward a little bit, but otherwise, oh, Doyle rules! <laughs> um, this movie is a Adam Sandler's basic premise. He does a goofy voice, but it was touching. And I would say, I love the wedding singer like crazy, but this comes in as a very close second as his best of wow. his, his silly movies. Um, but he also, it's also sort of a love song to his old comedy and those of us that did watch Happy Gilmore and uh, Billy Madison and all those movies back in the day. Um, Hubie, quick summary, Hubie Dubois. Uh, <laughs> here's his, uh, here's from IMDb. Despite his devotion to his hometown of Salem, and yes, Salem, Massachusetts, and in parentheses it writes, and it's Halloween celebration. 
Hubie Dubois is a figure of mockery for kids and adults alike. But this year, something is going bump in the night, and it's up to Hubie to save Halloween. Now, in all of his movies, usually Sandler's like the the guy that everybody makes fun of and this, that, and the other. And he still is, but has, I'll say, grown up, I feel like, because... He's half badass, half moron, and I mean that sincerely. And I don't want to say too much, because uh, if you are an Adam Sandler fan, this is just a delight, you know. So, and Sharon knows what I'm talking about because I know she saw this. But I, I loved it. I don't care. I loved it unabashedly. Um, <laughs> it stars. I mean, it's got so many fucking people, usuals, regulars like uh, Kevin James, uh, <laughs> whatever, Steve Buscemi, Rob Schneider. Maya Rudolph, Tim Meadows. Um, if you're going to watch it for anything, June Squibb plays his mother. And all I'm going to say is just watch it for her costume design. And if you are a fan of... Honestly, I was going to say, honestly, all the old ladies in that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're all, all, their, all their shirts. Is well, just, I think it's just her and her friend. Uh, oh, is it just her and her friend? I thought yeah. there was maybe three or four i don't know i don't know i just remember doesn't matter every time i saw a new t-shirt i was like what does that say and they were all amazing um and it it does genuinely have a very sweet and heartwarming message kind of which i feel cheesy just saying that but it really does and i feel like it's a message that is resonant and important for today it's very basic and simple and it's brought to you by adam sandler but it uh is relevant so I say I agree. go for it. I highly recommend this. I agree. It's great for families. It is. Well, it is for the most part. Yeah. No, it's totally, yeah. I think, family appropriate. It doesn't It doesn't get as like, uh, I don't know, dirty, I guess, as like Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison. It's, it's definitely more, it's one of his more family appropriate films. And two, his, two of his daughters are play some of the kids like in the background, I guess, too. So that's really fun. And in the in the credit as the credits roll, you get to see outtakes, which it's just amazing. So, yeah, some 90s nostalgia. Adam Sandler's grown up. Billy Madison's grown up. I say watch it. And buy me a T-shirt that says boner donor <laughs> for Christmas. If anyone knows where to get a boner donor shirt, the thrift store, please let us know and or mail it to us. Um, all right. So my final film that I will be talking about is a movie that I also heard of because of that uh, Shutter documentary. It's called Dead and Buried. It's free on demand and also on Amazon Prime. It came out in 1981. It stars James Ferentino, who's done a ton of TV work. Uh, Melody Anderson, who is in Flash Gordon, and also the original Battlestar Galactica. Um, it has a very, very young Robert England in the movie, too. And fun fact, on IMDb, I was looking through Robert England's filmography. He was actually listed as being, well, he was uncredited in the 1976 Barbara Streisand version of A Star is Born. I thought that might blow your mind, Mindy. <laughs> what, what did he Mindy's do Mindy's mouth it? is like totally wide open right now waiting for a dick to go in it. Um, what? Boner donor. <laughs> Boner. <laughs> Anyways, 
So this is a suspense horror film set in a small coastal town where after a series of gory murders committed by mobs of town people against visiting tourists, the corpses begin to come back to life. That right there, after reading the plot, I was like, sold. Um, it's So it's kind of a zombie movie, but like a totally different take on a a zombie film a little bit of trivia so this I mean this is a low budget horror film from the 80s but I totally appreciate the amount of detail that was put into making this film so During filming, director Gary Sherman purposely avoided letting the color red be visible in any scene so that the sight of blood during the murder sequences would all be much more shocking to the audience. So he even went as far as to having the taillights of the vehicles replaced with purple lights instead of normal red taillights. I mean, that's kind of a crazy amount of detail. That's like Mike Flanagan detail. Seriously, it is. Writer-producer Robert Shusett, he described the famous reconstruction scene where we see a woman's face being reconstructed by the mad doctor in the movie. We see an empty eye socket, and then we see him put in an eyeball. In just a moment's time, she sits up, she blinks, and turns around. And it's totally obvious that it's not a dummy. She does not have a glass eye. The effect is startling because of the way it was filmed, and it's impossible to tell how it was done, but they did tell how it was done. (laughs) They used an elaborate dummy of the woman that was made out of this new, very fleshy, real-like material for the time. So the dummy was used, and without using any sort of dissolve, they made a switch to the real girl so for like for the briefest moment you see the doctor he like lifts his elbow to get something and it covers the audience's view of the girl on the table and that's when they do the switch but you're so interested in what the doctor is doing that you don't even notice that you're not able to see the girl for a few seconds so during that period of time the dummy was moved just out of camera range and substituted with the real person and it took 17 takes to get that scene right Wow, that's awesome. I have to say, I believe it's the original Westworld. It could be the not-so-great sequel, Future World, but they're in Westworld, they do that. In the, the, the original movie, where they're working on the robots, and they do the exact same thing, where like you'll see the actual actress, who's, or whatever, and then the camera will pan, and you'll see the doctors working on her. They'll block her face, and then it literally looks like the camera moves right around, and it's obviously not her, because they've got like innards and stuff they're working with, but... um that's amazing oh my god that sounds awesome yeah it's definitely what I'm saying I I just I'm so impressed by like people thinking to come up with ways to innovate with the resources they had especially when there's like none (laughs) I mean yeah you totally could have just filmed the scene with a dummy yeah had an edit yeah and then cut to the real person uh so (laughs) I really enjoyed this movie It starts with an idyllic scene of a beautiful coastal town in the Northeast. I mean, you can like, you know, think of the opening of almost any Stephen King movie or even um, like Broadchurch. You know, that's kind of what the beginning of this movie feels like. And then within minutes, it goes from zero to 100 fast with like this brutal and disturbing killing. And I was like, all right, I'm in it. 
If you like movies about creepy ass small towns, then I think you will like this movie. And being a David Lynch fan, I definitely like the stories (laughs) of creepy towns that just seem all, you know, safe and peaceful and on the outside, but they have this like deep, dark underbelly. Yeah, the, the feeling of this movie is is really great the atmosphere that was created was realistic it was very moody uh they use a lot of fog it actually kind of reminded me a little bit of the movie the fog there is a lot of tension that was created by the way that they shot the film it makes you feel very uneasy there is a lot of gore in the film so if you're into that as well there's stuff for like gore whores uh there's a creepy mortician in the movie that is played by jack albertson who plays charlie's grandpa joe in willy wonka and the chocolate factory so definitely a different role than what you've seen him in before if you're a fan of willy wonka um yeah i i recommend it and it's one of those movies that not a lot of people i think have heard about but should have because it's really good especially for the time i'm in actually that also sounds great i think i'm just gonna watch movies for the rest of the day once we're done so i have one last uh honorable mention i wanted to bring up uh it is actually technically a series but it's an anthology of smaller films essentially um it is a hulu original and it is called monsterland it is based on nathan ballingrude's book North American Lake Monsters, which I've, that's a huge, and I apologize to any big horror fans who love him. I know he's a big deal in the literary horror world, and I hope I said his name right. Um, The series is excellent. It is I, I called them hourish long shorts, but they're reminiscent. The, every every episode, quote unquote, is reminiscent of Black Mirror, but horror themed and damn triggering at times, especially given like modern events happening these days. It's kind of fantastic. So the last up, the most recent episode I watched is called Plainfield, Illinois, which is an actual suburb here in Illinois. Um, I'm not going to talk. I used to live. Right by Plainfield, Illinois. Oh, see, there you go. So, Sharon, you should watch this. No. Um, it's a beautiful. I kind of want to now. <laughs> no, the show itself is really amazing. But so, the reason I want to talk about Plainfield, Illinois, which is the most recent episode that I watched, is because it is beautiful and horrifying and heart wrenching. And I'm not going to say anything about the plot because I just, all of these, you're just going in cold. And I think it's better done that way. But I was shocked because as the episode ended and faded to black, as soon as the credits started to roll, the very first thing they listed was the episode's director. And that director is Logan Kibbins, who is actually a friend of mine. Um, She is a working director in TV and film in L.A. Um, She and her wife actually wrote a movie that she directed that Sharon, I was going to refer to you. Well, it's not horror. We'll talk about it later. But I was, I had no idea that she was involved in this and it was kind of late at night. And I have very uh, nice neighbors because I kind of yelped a little bit in surprise. Um, so it, I, I'm very proud of her and I'm very excited, but the series in general is, is fantastic. So I feel like everybody, if you have access to Hulu, please check out Monsterland. Uh, you, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I really don't. So is it set in Plainfield, Illinois? Because 
they just randomly chose that location or is it based on something that actually happened there? You know, I am hoping to find the answers to that, um, but I don't know for sure. They did film it in Chicago, um, but I, okay. yeah, I, I'm trying to get more information, but it was beautiful and well done. And I'm just really super proud of my friend. And I just wanted to say that. But the series itself is genuinely frightening in that disturbing way of like looking at the world and looking at yourself. And I recommend it. Yeah. I think you'd like it, Sharon. Cool. All right. Well, that is it for all the movies that we have been watching. Um, I do want to give a super quick mention. Uh, I'm not going to go into any detail, but I did finish watching Bly Manor, The Haunting of Bly Manor by Mike Flanagan on Netflix. And while I still like The Haunting of Hill House better, I do recommend the second season. I thought it was beautiful, emotional. Um, I connected to every character and he makes you care about every character the way he does in The Haunting of Hill House. And I know for some reason, The Haunting of Bly Manor has gotten a little bit of criticism. I don't really understand it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I'm I'm not going to get into that. I recommend it though and think you should watch it. And I still love everything that Mike Flanagan does. <laughs> okay, A, holy shit, you watched that already. I've been like avoiding it specifically. I can't believe you watched that whole thing already, but yes, I kind of can. Um, damn. But also, you were kind of, it sounded like you were kind of hesitating at first, and I was like, oh God. But it's not like you're going to say, I t- it was shit, Mike Flanagan's shit. Like, I, you know... <laughs> I just I'm in shock that you watched the whole thing already. I I, I want to like sit down and watch it. And I they've released some tweets that are like find the ghost with like shots from the film or the well, the extended long film is what it essentially is. And I'm really bad at the find the ghost game. I've realized so I'm excited to watch it, but I'm like ready to like sit down and study it. God, wow. It's going to take a second rewatch. I mean, we're recording this episode on the 18th, so it's been out for nine days. I think I binged it all in three days. Yeah. Um, How many uh, parts? There's nine episodes in it. Uh, Spencer has not watched it because he's had crazy work hours and has worked like 150 hours in the last two weeks. So he wants to watch it. So I think in November, I'm going to rewatch it with him because there's definitely a million things that I missed. And now that I know what happens, I can pay attention to the little details, but I will say very similar to the haunting of Hill house. There's a lot of shit going around in the background that like scared the crap out of me. And yeah, I have one friend that started watching it and had to shut it off after three episodes. Cause he said he fucking hated it. And I was like, fuck you. I'm ending our friendship. <laughs> But I don't know. I really liked it. Maybe you need to give it more than three episodes is my opinion. But well done, Mike Flanagan. Well done. It looks gorgeous as hell. I can't wait. And now I'm kind of pissed and super jealous. So uh, I'm going to get on that too. But yeah, awesome. I can't wait now. Now I'm like super. Well, I was super excited already, but I'm extra excited. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to us. Uh, Let us know what you've been watching this October. We love getting your recommendations and adding them to our list. Uh, We hope that everyone is having a fun Halloween month. I know that we can't do as much as we would normally 
during Halloween season and I really just do not want this month to end and I'm just going to pretend it's Halloween until next October. Same actually and I've also had kind of a busy shitty work season lately so we've all I think the whole world right now is just exhausted but um, October's not over yet so I kind of feel like we might at some point mention a few other movies that (laughs) We're going to end up watching. I know I'm going to keep watching horror movies all October, but uh, please do, like Sharon said, let us know what you all are watching because we love suggestions, clearly. And as always, you can write to us at whorestalkhorror at gmail.com with all your ghost stories, creepy stories, uh, any other stories that you would like us to share on our show. Please be kind to each other, be safe, and please, please, please vote. This is the most important election probably in most of our lifetimes. I know that both candidates suck, but there is clearly a better option and we need to restore the civility and kindness that has been lacking from our current leadership these last four years and we really need to start coming together instead of furthering the divide agreed and also please to add to that please make sure that you do your research when you go to or before you go to vote uh there's lots we can actually we can post some resources i have a really good list but um when if you find an article online that is about a certain i don't know topic or like you know ACA or Obamacare or whatever and it's like this is bad or this is good check your sources that's all i ask is check your sources because i always look to find an article about a topic that's written by both sides so that i could kind of get the full picture of what everybody's saying cuz there's a a lot of really blatant falsities out there I'm not going to go down that road but like just please know that your decision affects not just you and your family but other people for a lifetime possibly so make sure that you check your facts and and make your decisions wisely that's all I ask (laughs) and just happy Halloween everyone Um, and you know what continue celebrating Halloween until next Halloween, if that's your thing, you know, honestly, fuck Thanksgiving, fuck Christmas, not looking forward to either of those holidays. So I'm just going to do what makes me happy. And I hope that you all do too. And as always, thanks, thanks for, for getting, getting creepy, creepy with us. Sharon, do you want a beer? Uh, oh my God.